Generation Gap series that we have been in. And as we talked about, I think one of the keys to living life well is to have relationships and friendships with people in different generations. We have much to learn from each other. We have much to teach each other. And one of the things we've been seeing is that this church is filled with amazing young people. And Todd and I talk all the time. They're just so talented and accomplished and seem to be so much more advanced than we were at their age. And so our job, I think, is not just to encourage them and applaud them, but also we, we have some wisdom to share to help them deal with some of the difficult struggles that we all face together. And I love the videos we have been seeing because beyond a, a picture of the generation gap, I think there's some powerful lessons going on in each one that I really want us to think about. So I want us to think about Sam and Todd and my piano playing versus Mark's piano playing. And it's not just the opposite, that, that we're horrible and he's really good. There's something more going on. Because when you think about Sam and Todd and I, we have just a little, a thimble full of talent, but we don't practice at all. We haven't practiced in years. I haven't practiced in decades. So we do nothing with the little bit of talent we have. Now, Mark has a lot of talent, but he also practices and he works hard and he develops what God has given him. In fact, I think that ability to do that, to practice, to take what God is giving us and to do something with it, to grow it and multiply it, is the key to our scripture for today. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn now. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians 9 and look at verses 24 through 27. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. Hear the word of the Lord. Do you not know that in a race the runners all compete, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win it. Athletes exercise self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable garland, but we an imperishable one. So I do not run aimlessly, nor do I box as though beating the air, but I punish my body and enslave it so that after proclaiming to others, I myself should not be disqualified. What we see is that the apostle Paul is quite the sports fan. In fact, he is smitten with athletics. If Paul were to live today, he would be a huge fan of the Cowboys and the Rangers. I am convinced and he would whisper to us that the kickoff is at noon and we're well aware of that. Um, but he's smitten with athletics, particularly it's interesting in Corinth, they had great games and competition, second only to the Olympics. And so he was really taken with the runner who would train and run so hard and run to win the prize. You remember the prize? The winner would get a, a wreath put upon his or her head when they won the race. And Paul said, that's the most beautiful metaphor for Christianity. All of us are put here to run a race. We're here to discipline ourselves and push ourselves and, and practice hard to run this race that God has given us, to develop whatever talents, resources entrusted to us. And I think he is really honest with us that our job is not to just drift through life aimlessly, just kind of meandering along. Instead, what does he say? We're here to run to win, to seek the prize, to go for the prize. And what does that mean for us to keep our eyes on the prize? It means we are put here to run the race of faith that does not stop until we arrive in heaven. 
and we stand before Jesus face to face and he puts the crown on our heads and says, well done, good and faithful servant. Until that day, we are to discipline ourselves and to practice to run the race before us. But I think we have to be honest and Paul would tell us to be honest. Running that race, seeking to win the prize isn't always easy. We're gonna have some tough times. We're gonna get knocked down. We're gonna get defeated. We're gonna get deflated. And in those moments, we have to dig deep and keep running, keep trying. Don't quit. Don't give up. To remember, as the old proverb says, we have to practice makes perfect. And we need to live by that adage. But also I think we need to be aware at every stage of life, every season of life, whether we're three years old or whether we're 109 years old, every day we need to get up and ask ourselves three questions so that we can run the race well that is before us. Every day we need to wake up and say, why am I here? Who am I put here to love and to encourage today? And what job has God given me to do today. See, the race isn't over until we arrive at heaven and Jesus puts the crown on our heads. Until then, we run the race of faith that is before us. I love the old legend. A king lived in a faraway land and he had an army of elephants. And one day, the bravest, strongest elephant that was the king's favorite got too old to fight anymore. And so he gave him a, a, a royal retirement. So he put the beloved elephant out into a beautiful forest. There was plenty of food to eat, plenty of water to drink. And one day the elephant was at a pond getting water. And as he was drinking water, his foot got stuck in the mud. And he tried to pull it out of the mud and he couldn't. And he worked hard and he went deeper and he deeper. He was stuck in the mud. Finally, the poor elephant got so frustrated, he just sat down on the ground and bellowed in pain. In fact, he was bellowing so loud, they could hear it in the village and the king's servants came out to check on the elephant and they tried to help him get his foot out of the mud. They did everything they could think of, but they had no success. He was still stuck in the mud. And so finally, the poor elephant was just bellowing and distraught to such a degree that the king came out to check on him and people from the town came as well. And as the king looked over the crowd that was there, he noticed a very wise man who lived right outside of town, but was there in the crowd. So the king went to the wise man and said, do you, do you have any idea what we can do to help the elephant? And the wise man thought about it for a while. And then he said, you know what you need to do? play the war drums. And so the king said, okay. He assembled the army and said, play the war drums. And they did. And as soon as they started playing, all of a sudden the elephant perked up. Then the elephant rose up. And then the elephant just lifted his foot out of the mud so easily. And when he did that, he trumpeted triumphantly. Paul, we have sound effects today. <laughs> and when the elephant did that, pulled his leg out and was so joyous, the wise man had a huge smile on his face and he turned to someone and said, all he needed was to be reminded of who he was. Isn't that a great story? Because isn't that us? 
we're going to get stuck in the mud. We're going to get defeated. We're going to feel like we can't. We're going to want to sit down and just cry. And in those moments, we need to remember who we are. And we need to fight. And we need to try. And we need to practice to remember that we are made to live out verse 24. Do you not know that in a race, the runners all compete, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win it. And um, it seems to me that we can approach it one of two ways, whether it be music or whether it be sports or whether it just be life in general, there are two approaches we can take. We can either play it by ear or we can practice. And and I'll admit it, I am amazed by people who can play piano by ear. My grandma could do that. And, And honestly, I think we just have to own it. There are going to be times in our life when that's exactly what we're going to have to do. There are going to be times, there are going to be seasons in our life whenever we are, we're just going to have to wing it. We're going to be making it up as we go along. There are going to be times and seasons in our life when we're going to have to be building those bridges as we are walking across them. Now, that's where you happen to be this morning. If that's the season you're in right now, then build. You go on, you build away just so long as you let God guide you in your building. Because remember, Jesus was a carpenter, so he knows a little bit about the process. There are going to be times when that's what we're going to have to do. Sometimes we're going to have to play it by ear. But that cannot, cannot, cannot be the guiding philosophy, the guiding principle of our life, just flying by the seat of our pants. Because that will only leave us unprepared. Or, or at best, it leaves us ill-prepared. And that, that, that's not God's will. That's not God's plan for our life. And that's not God's will. That's not God's plan for, for our faith to be unprepared. In fact, I think it's kind of telling. I think it's kind of remarkable that the the Hebrew word for faith, the word that Jesus would have known for faith, emunah, um, it comes to us from the exact same word that gives us the Hebrew word for exercise. It's not coincidental. You see, faith, faith is supposed to be one of those things that takes practice. Faith is supposed to be one of those things that takes work. Faith is one of those things that's supposed to take training. So we just got to make our minds up to do it, to start it. You and me, we got to start starting. And typically, and you know this well, typically that's the hardest part. Starting anything. Typically that's the hardest part, whatever it is, whether it's working out or or picking up a piano, pick, picking up the, the skill of playing the piano. I was about to say picking up a piano. That's hard all the time. Uh, uh, anything. But what's true for the body is equally true for the soul. Starting is hard. And so we just got to make our minds up to do it, to get beyond all the aches, to get beyond all the pains, to get beyond all of our excuses. I mean, what did Paul just say to us? He said, athletes have to exercise self-control in all things. Self-control. He was saying that we have to stop all of our aimless wandering around. Telling us that we got to stop all of our just punching at the air, sparring with nobody. And instead, we got to get serious. We got to get serious about getting stronger. Stronger in our faith. Stronger in our marriages. 
stronger in our family, stronger in our friendship, stronger at the office, stronger at school. We got to start. We got to start starting. We got to stop settling and start starting to get busy getting better. And so this week I got curious, uh, which is always a dangerous thing. I got curious this week because Paul here, he he talks about the Christian faith in terms of of, of preparing, of training for a race, of practicing for a race. So I started to wonder, what what are the first steps in preparing for something like that? Because I am way out of my depth when it comes to talking with any sort of authority on that. And so I went to see what the experts said. What is it? What are the most important things that we can do to prepare, to train, to practice for a race? And I loved what they said. I loved what I found because I think there is a direct correlation. I think there's such symmetry and overlap between what they said about preparing for for a physical race and what Paul says about preparing for a spiritual race. In fact, here, take, take a look at what they said. The experts said that if we start training for a marathon, first, we have to start smart. We have to fuel ourselves to last. You see, if we want to start, if we want to start reading the Bible, maybe we want to start praying, start some sort of spiritual discipline, some sort of spiritual exercise. If we just want to start going deeper, let's start. Let's start with like five or 10 minutes a day and then let's grow it. The the, the growing it part is is critically important, but let's start with five or 10 minutes a day because one of the the worst things we can do is is to start off strong, start off charging hard and then hit the inevitable wall and then to feel the inevitable guilt and then just to quit, to, to drop out. See, because maybe the only thing harder than starting is restarting, it's counterproductive. And all throughout this process, starting five, 10 minutes, growing it every single day. See, part of it is just about our need to be fueled up, to be filled up, to be filled up with worship and with prayer and with scripture and with service. Us getting stronger each and, and every day, we gotta start smart. But, but also they said we need to commit to something. We need to have some form, some structure of accountability in our life. We need to have a friend, a trusted friend who who can be our accountability partner, our prayer partner, our devotional partner, someone that we can journey with, someone who can stretch us and challenge us, but also someone someone who can charge us up, who'll encourage us, mine. Mine's right here, this piano virtuoso behind me. Um, Mine's right here, we need someone, someone who can open our eyes and make us see number three, the small stuff. We gotta make practice fun. We need to figure out how to celebrate the the small stuff. There needs to be an element of joy in it, or of course we're gonna quit. There needs to be some fun. We need to have someone who can show us and remind us how to celebrate because if we're just waiting, if we're waiting just for the big stuff to celebrate, we're not gonna know how to celebrate it when he comes. Celebrate the small stuff. And then finally, rest. Recovery, have the right gear. I think part of what it's talking about there in the spiritual realm, it's Sabbath. Our need to create, our need to cultivate space for silence and stillness and rest. And it's really remarkable to me that the apostle Paul would say something very similar in a letter that he'd write to his young protege, Timothy. In 1 Timothy, the apostle Paul wrote this, while physical training is of some value, Godliness is valuable in every way, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. 
practicing godliness. Because practice makes perfect. I mean, we've grown up with that saying. We've lived with it for forever. Practice makes perfect. But, but none, other, none other than Vince Lombardi would disagree. <laughs> of course, because he did. Uh, Vince Lombardi said that practice doesn't make perfect. Vince Lombardi said that only perfect practice makes perfect. You see, it's not just, it's not just that we practice. How we practice matters too. Us raising the bar just a little bit, a little higher, a little higher, a little higher each and every day. You see, we, yes, we got to practice, but we got to start practicing smarter and harder. We need to start practicing better. Because you know what else those, those experts said? Those experts said that we also, we have to stop giving ourselves an out. See, it's not just important that we start starting. It's also important that we quit quitting. Um, I think runners call it bonking. Us just running out of steam. And this race, this, this marathon, it takes all the steam that we can muster. It takes strength and stamina and moxie and grit. In fact, did y'all know that the, the world record times for marathons, they were both turned in uh, just a couple of months ago by, by these two folks. The men's record is held by this Kelvin Kipton from Kenya at the Chicago Marathon just a couple of months ago. He finished the, the marathon 26 point whatever miles in just over two hours. That man ran 26 miles at an average pace of just over four and a half minutes. That is nuts to me. Uh, uh, I probably can't run, I, I probably, I know I can't run one mile in four minutes. Um, that's just crazy. Not to be outdone, the woman, I think it's Ty, Ty just a Sefa from Ethiopia, ran the Berlin Marathon again just a couple of months ago, turning in a time of, of just over two hours, running a pace, average pace, just over five minutes. So admirable, so impressive. But do you know what to me is, is, is equally impressive? The record for the longest the record longest time to run a marathon. That's held by this gentleman, Shizu Kanakuri of Japan, who in 1967 turned in uh, a record time for one marathon of 54 years, 249 days, five hours, 32 minutes, 20.3 seconds. I love that they added the three-tenths of a second there at the end. It somehow makes it feel more official to me or something. Uh, You see, Mr. Kanakuri, he ran for Japan in the Stockholm Olympics in 1912. But midway through the race, midway through the marathon, he fell, he collapsed and he just quit. He stopped and and he went home. And then some 50 years later, they reached out to him and they asked him if, if, if he'd like to finish what he had started. I wonder how often that's us. I wonder how often we, how often we quit just, just a little too soon. I wonder how often we quit because it's, it's just too hard or it's just too scary, or it's just too inconvenient. Or maybe it is that we quit because, because what's the use? It just doesn't, it doesn't seem like, like it's working. Friends, adversity is gonna come. Hard times are gonna come. Prayers are gonna seem like they go unanswered. But it's what we do, it's who we become in those moments. It's the choices we make then. In those moments, that's what makes the difference because that's where faith, that's where real faith, strong faith, muscular faith, that's where it's forged in moments like that. I mean, think about it. Think about uh, Steph Curry. 
and, and, and Michael Jordan and Tom Brady and Carmelo Anthony and Oral Hershiser and Lionel Messi, you know what all those guys have in common? I mean, besides being phenomenal athletes and besides practicing and training like the champs they are, you know what else they have in common? Each and every one of them, at some point in their career, each and every one of them was cut from a team. But they didn't quit. And you know who else didn't quit? And if you're thinking Jesus because we're in church, um, you're absolutely right. You are not wrong. But I'm thinking of something maybe a little more down to earth. I was thinking in particular of a ranger named Garcia. Um, Come on, 930 clapped. Uh, <laughs> no, I was, I was thinking about, uh, I was, I, after, after everything that happened in game five of the last series, there was just, there was just something about game six. And I don't know, I'm gonna be really honest. I don't know if as a Christian, I'm supposed to feel this way. I don't know if as a, as a preacher I'm supposed to say things like this, but there was just something about that game six. I mean, there he was, he was getting booed, he was getting heckled, he was getting jeered every time he went up to bat. I mean, loudly every time he went up to bat, he struck out four straight times. But that fifth time, with the bases loaded, the crack of that bat, mm, man, it sounded good. Here, take a watch. More. On this one-two pitch, he swings and misses with the ball in the dirt. Won't even head down to first. That's the inning. Common by today's standards. Justin Verlander said after the game, biggest homer of his career. Of course he's going to do that. And then he looks getting better. Chases and he struck out all three times tonight. One, two. Swings and misses and strikes out for the fourth time tonight. Chance for more here. Bases loaded, one gone in the ninth. Stanix 1 1. He is thrilled on a line. Left field and gone. Adolis Garcia makes his statement, and the Rangers have their sights set on game seven. Well, it wasn't the train tracks, but it was special. Garcia. The Rangers have broken it open. They lead nine to two. I, uh, <laughs> Hopefully we'll get to see some of that tomorrow night. But, uh, um, and first of all, my apologies uh, to our, our friends and our brothers and sisters in Houston, those of you who are joining us, um, to our Houston, to our Astros fans here. Um, God bless you. Um, <laughs> thank you. Uh, um, but a grand slam, I mean, that, that wouldn't have happened had he quit. That wouldn't have happened had he just stopped, given up. And I wonder what we miss out on because we quit just a little too soon. We quit maybe just a little too easily. I, I wonder what we miss out on because we settle. We, we settle for, oh, it's good enough. Like Jesus, do you remember the, the man, the blind man that Jesus met in the gospel of, of Mark? 
Do you remember how Jesus, how Jesus on his first attempt to, to heal the man, the man is kind of, sort of healed, his vision kind of come back. He, he tells Jesus that, that he can see people, but they look like trees walking around. So that guy could have left, he could have gone away. He could have, he could have walked away being thankful, being thankful that, that he was halfway healed. But our God is not a halfway sort of God and his plan, his will for us, it's not for us to be halfway anything. God's plan for us is not for a halfway life or for a halfway sort of faith. God's plan, God's will for us, God's desire for us is wholeness and holiness and excellence. Excellence in mind and in body and soul. You see in Jesus's economy, there's no such thing as halfway. There's no such thing as halfway saved. There's no such thing as halfway Christian. With Jesus, it was, it was all and only all the way. And we get there one day, one step, one choice, one fall, one rise, one good practice at a time. We get there by starting, starting, and by quitting, quitting, that we too may receive the prize, that we may too receive the crown the crown eternal and indestructible given to us by Jesus himself, Jesus our Lord, Jesus the author and the finisher of our faith. As we pray, Lord our God, um, this morning and we come and stand on the promise of your good word that tells us that you who began a, a good work in us, God, you're not going to quit that you're going to see it on through to complete completion. And so, Lord, this morning we pray that you'd give us that same sort of drive, that same sort of grit, that, Lord, you would first, God, forgive us, forgive us for quitting, forgive us for bailing on you. Forgive us for settling for good enough and, and, and almost. Lord, forgive us for all of our excuses, our, our well-intentioned, well-meaning excuses. God, instead, come to us. And give us that sense of holy discontent, that halfway just won't be good enough. Lord, help us to go all the way. Give us the faith, give us the courage like you to go all the way, to go all the way with you and to go all the way for you, Lord. So we pray, come to us, God, and light a fire in us that burns only for you. Rekindle in us that, 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 that faith and that passion that we once had. Lord, come to us and help us to know you. Come to us and take us and change us, Lord, use us. God, use us all and only for the glory of your name. Because it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you don't miss new releases. We'll have new podcasts coming out all the time. Be sure to check us out online at whiteschapelumc.com. Please download the WC Life app. And follow us on social media to stay up to date with all things WC.